We constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're stoked to have Tech Talk styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. As we head into the middle of December and the days get longer and the nights shorter, can you feel that full-on summer loving? Are you seeing the opportunities that are ripe for you? That chance to put away the year that was and forget about whatever and whoever has been holding you back. So let's talk about The Wayfarer. Born in the 50s, it has been loved by dreamers, adventurers, and pop culture legends ever since. The Wayfarer family continues with the State Street. It's elegant, square-shaped, crafted from acetate, and available in a selection of colors creating a contemporary style. You can't predict the light, but with text talks and Ray-Ban, you're always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. You're on. Follow the light at www.rayban.com. Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to the front man of a DIY indie rock band that spearheaded an entire scene in South Africa. Known for their unique style of indie rock and outlandish onstage antics, just as well as they are for their left field name, they burst onto a scene that was more concerned with mainstream rock, ultimately finding a home on MCAR 89 and an audience amongst a growing underground 20-something community. Rooted in strong Quela melodies and a DIY indie punk attitude, they spearheaded an entire new wave of underground bands from Opikopi to Osaka, and they have carved out a niche for themselves that few bands can emulate. I am, of course, talking about Desmond and the Tutus' Shane Durant. Shane, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro. Wow. I feel amazing about myself right now. <laughs> I only speak the truth. I only speak the truth. But... um. You know, we were having a chat the other day and, and Desmond and the Tutus has been around for 15 years. Crazy, crazy to think. But I want to take things back to 2005, to your first rehearsal in, in, in Doug's bedroom in Pretoria. Because I forget that even though you've been Joburg-based for a while, your seminal years were spent in Pretoria. Can you relive that general energy and intention surrounding Desmond and the Tutus when you guys first started out? Yes, yeah, so, so, so in we grew up in Pretoria. So uh, Craig and I obviously are brothers, and uh, we grew up with Doug. And um, what, we were, we, I mean, we knew each other. We were at school. We were at the same school, and but mostly we were at the same church. So like the, the four of us, well, the three of us were in the church band. And uh, I mean, I don't have. I mean, I don't play any instruments. I was just like there for. I don't know. Did you play the triangle? Yeah. Then? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like that was actually how I started like playing the harmonica because I was like, how do harmonicas work? And Doug says, well, if you just get it, get a harmonica that's in the key of the song, then you literally cannot mess it up. And so that's how I started playing the harmonica because I wanted to just be part of the church band. So Craig, Doug, and I were like in the were in our in our church band, like the youth band, and uh, Doug matriculated. I'm a few years older than Doug, but when Doug matriculated, he left and went to Stellenbosch, and um, he went to go study music in Stellenbosch. And when he came back after, like he would come back in the holidays, and then we would like in the in the school holidays we would. We would jam out and relive our glory church band days, <laughs> and, and like the the end of that year, he actually dropped out of that music course that he was in, and he came back to Pretoria, and he'd kind of, I guess, been exposed to like the music scene in Stellenbosch, and he came back like, guys, we got to start a band, you know. So, and so we were we were kind of always like into starting a band, but it never really. It never really happened. I guess at that, like uh, over that time, we were, I was getting into like better music, and so I was like uh, more primed to 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 like I had better I developed better taste in music, so I'd like kind of more primed to in a way like make be a part of making better music than maybe I had been previously. 
And so that December, there must have been like that must have been two thousand and five. Uh, Doug, Craig, and I, uh, we just like December holiday boredom, and we set up in Doug's bedroom. Doug lived in like the outside cottage of his uncle and aunt's place, and we set up like the band in there, and 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 we wrote a bunch of songs together, just like jamming out, like many of these types of bands start. And it was just the three of us. It was just like it was just drums, vocals, and guitar, and we were like, "This is awesome." <laughs> but Doug was like, "No, we. I think we need to bring a fourth, a fourth guy in." And so a week later, we he, Doug invited his um, his sister's boyfriend, who was Nick, um, and Nick was like a super serious. <laughs> like Muso on the on the Pretoria like live music scene, he he was playing in bands and and so he, the idea was that he would play the bass guitar or play bass, but he didn't have a bass guitar, so he was playing it. So our first few shows were like Nick playing bass lines on his electric guitar, <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and that we, we were just totally fine with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I guess our story like begins like most garage rock bands you know like bored suburban youths like just trying to have a good time and um yeah like a lot of stuff that i do like i can't just do it for fun so i like immediately get into like designing a logo <laughs> you know? um, and stuff like that so so as soon as it like it, as soon as it felt like we had something cool, and it didn't, it didn't take long. Like I was mega into it. I was already like, "Cool, this is gonna be like the thing that I pour everything into." And it it became that pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, so it took us like a month or two, and we started we started like looking for ways to to play shows. But because I lived in Joburg, I'd already moved away from Pretoria at this point, so I. A lot of like our early shows were in Joburg. Um, we sort of claim Pretoria as our hometown, but we sort of started the band like half Joburg, half Pretoria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, in most interviews that I do, I try and steer clear of this question that I'm about to ask you. But all the years that I've known you, I've realized I don't know why you named the band Desmond and the Tutus. I've never asked you, but was there any sort of real significance behind it or was it just a sort of joke that you guys maybe thought was funny at the time? Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> kind of a bit of both, you know. So, I mean, in those, those like early few jam sessions that we had, it was really just about like, having a good time and kind of jamming out and broing out with the bros. <laughs> and, um, I mean, when, it, when we started to feel like, I mean, naturally you have to have a conversation like, okay, we've got this awesome band. Now we need a, we need a name. And are we just, we're like, I mean, like we're just kind of joking around going, you know, the, the so-and-so and the so-and-so's like formulas. It's kind of a, classic time tested formula for mm-hmm. for band names like we could just use that and then we got into like the first name and the surnames formula and we we're just like laughing about it and um and yeah we just like i don't know we we're just like having fun and and we landed on desmond and the tutors and it kind of just rolled off the tongue so yeah we, the, what's the one that made us laugh the hardest at the time it like felt like an actual name um and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason that it stuck is like, even from the beginning, like, you know, the, the the kind of the bands that were popular at that time were, it was really starting to get like super played out, you know, like the rock rock band scene back then. It was like mega, it was super like trying to be like American and uh, it was very so strange, like versions of like Creed and Nickelback yeah, exactly. and like weird stuff it, it, going on. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was that, and so like we were very like dead set against just like falling into that SA rock sound and that SA rock scene, mm. and so so like it was really important to us that like we we kind of the name. I mean, even though we probably didn't think about it this way, but I think it it helped is that like by calling ourselves Desmond and the Tudus. No, no, 
Your grace. Your grace. Yes, yes, oh, yes. It kind of... It, 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 it made it impossible for us to, like, kind of ape some, like, cheesy American rock sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I guess that kind of guided a lot of, like, the tone of what we, what we put out early on. Mm, made it super local, super authentic. And I think if you're going to be associated with anybody, you might as well be associated with one of the coolest holy men um, yeah. around. And I remember, I think it was, um, maybe it was like 2009, you guys got a letter from the archbishop's office, which was like basically a shout out from Desmond the Tutu saying he was proud to be associated with the band, which I think yeah. was amazing. And like, but what's going through your mind when you receive an envelope like that, like before you open it, do you think, oh my God, like we've gotten ourselves into so much trouble. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. I mean, we were so under the radar back then, you know, that like, of course we'd, I mean, to this day, we'd love to just like get a selfie with the man, but we've never managed to make it happen. But, but um, how that came about was we were um Someone, someone from the BBC contacted us oh, and wow. was like, oh, I'm, I'm about to interview the Archbishop and she'd heard about us somehow and, you know, she just thought it would be like a fun thing to throw into this like mega serious BBC interview. And so she said, would we like to write him a letter and send him like a care package and stuff? So like, That's so cool. Um, yeah, so we sent him like a bunch of merch and a CD. And, Which T-shirt and, did you send him? Like back then, it might have been the the classic uh, Desmond and the Mother Flippin' Tutus. Oh, love <laughs> that T-shirt! I still I got mean, my red one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so and so we sent um, the letter, and we were like being funny and saying, "Hey, if you, if you ever start an indie rock band, you you know you can name it after one of us." <laughs> but uh, and so we got the letter back from him, and and in a way, it's just been I don't know. It was cool to get. Um, it was just cool to be acknowledged by the guy and uh, uh, just like be on his radar for one fleeting moment, you know. Mm. So we mentioned, you know, some of the other bands. Uh, well, we, no names mentioned, actually, some of the other bands, English rock bands who were big on the scene at the time um, when you guys emerged. Um, and you, you know, they were sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum to what you were doing. But who are you sharing lineups with and back in the early days? Yeah, I mean, when when we started out, like, trying to do gigs, we were so, like, we didn't go to gigs. So, we're like, we we're not part of that rock really? culture at all, you know. So, like, Craig had been to watch a few gigs. He watched 340 Mill a few times at Tings and Times. So, we're like, okay, cool. Let's go to Tingston Times and try to get a gig. But actually where we ended up getting our first few shows was in was at the Blues Room in Santon. I mean, yeah, you, you, you're quite new to Joburg, so you wouldn't remember this, but the Blues Room was like this music venue in a mall that has now been replaced by like a skyscraper. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, it was kind of – it's like one of these weird things that happens in South Africa where like a cheesy – shitty venue becomes like the home of live music just if in a city just because there is nothing else um so the blues room was doing these like unsigned or what what would you call it like open mic nights Mm -hmm. right on wednesdays Mm -hmm. and you would just have to get there like early in the afternoon and put your name down and and then you would and you would get a slot so like that's actually how we started playing live and and uh and that, yeah, so so back then we were like uh, on those lineups. The only the only band that really um, or or like artist that I can remember from those open mic lineups was a was a rapper called Obita. Okay, I don't know if you know Obita, but no. yeah, he was pretty active for a while, like the super like bubbly, like um, awesome guy, and he he played with a live band, so he was cool. I mean, when we started playing like actual, actual shows, you know, so we played a few like open mic nighty type things early on, and like when we we played um, at Nile Crocodile in Pretoria, which was also like a classic rock people venue, and um, 
we once opened for Fuzzy Gish. Oh my god, that must have been a mad show. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was, but it was also just like kind of odd, you know, because um, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't super packed um, like Fuzzy Gish shows usually are. But we were such like pretentious dicks back then, you know. We were like so dead set against becoming like just falling into like the SA rock scene, you know. And so, so like I remember thinking, I mean, I always just cringe when I think about when I think about this. But I remember back then thinking to myself like at that point Fuzzy Gish had been going for like I don't know six or seven years, and I remember thinking back then like. Oh my God, imagine being in a band for seven years. <laughs> like if guys, honestly, if if we're still going in seven years, like somebody shoot me in the face, you know? And, uh, and of course, like years seven later. years came and went. And uh, um, yeah, I guess I got a lot of like kind of cringy, pretentious shit that I really regret saying out loud back then. Um but I'm a lot more mellow now, and I, and I and I kind of appreciate the journey of of all bands, and especially like bands that I find they find their place in like kind of a local environment, you know. And you mm. you like kind of just become the the go-to band for one or two cities, and uh, it's an ecosystem that that I've grown to love and appreciate, and um, now. I'm no longer a pretentious dick, I hope. <laughs> You're the best. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I mentioned I mentioned MCAR a few times. Um, and I feel like it's very difficult to talk about your rides, especially in the beginning without talking about MCAR. Because not only did it launch some of the, the biggest Afrikaans rock bands that are still around today, but I think it was also vital in shaping the English indie and folk scene as well. How... How do you feel when you think about those early days of gigging and the support from the channel, like that we that up and coming bands really don't have now? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it. Really takes me back to like a, a place where there was we we like the kind of alternative scene had a platform, mm. and uh, you know people were like exposed to. Uh, like the the live bands on the scene that are trying to make it, and yeah, it's just amazing what a platform it actually ended up being. I mean, there would be like a band from Stellenbosch, you know, it's like a bunch of nineteen year olds, and they'd get a, a video onto MCAR and kind of blow up. And uh, that was very true for a lot of like young Afrikaans bands. But like you said, I mean, it it, it helped us a lot as well, and. Uh, like that was almost like pre-internet in a way. I mean, the yeah. internet was around, obviously, but it wasn't like the music discovery tool that it is now. So people were still relying like really heavily on on TV and radio to discover bands. And it was just incredible to have like a kind of a home for alternative music on like on on TV like that. So, yeah, it was really just – it's really just sad that it it couldn't keep going. Yeah, super sad. But I, you know, I reckon the pendulum swings, and who knows? Maybe, maybe one day there'll be a platform like that again in the country. But, um, yeah. but I want to talk about your music. So your your debut album, Tuck Shop, that you released in two thousand and eight, like that for me is still my favorite Tutu's album because I've got some really good like varsity memories tied up with it. But also, I mean, I think to experience those early days of like Kiss You on the Cheek and Peter and, and those crazy gigs. Um, honestly, I don't think I've ever told you this before, but I think it maybe it no, it did. It made me feel like I was a part of a scene for the first time ever, um, especially those early gigs that were like super sweaty and, and mad. But when you think about Tuck Shop specifically, which song still resonates with you now for whatever reason yeah I mean I, I probably the ones that you've that you've mentioned Peter and Kiss You on the Cheek are the ones that have kind of gone the distance for us in terms of like we, we, we still play them live occasionally but um, 
yeah, it, it's it is kind of amazing how I, I I know what you're saying. It's like that that time in my life. I also, I mean, I, I just it, it, you you know you do feel like you're you're like you're witnessing the birth of of something really interesting and important and and you know kind of new and fresh. So so uh, and it's something like I, I don't know that. I don't know that like it's it's happened in rock music since then. You know, we've had like bands come out, but like definitely on in English rock in South Africa, like that definitely is a it's like a a blip on the on the on the on the chart in terms of like it felt like it for for a few years it felt like we were, were part of like a a, a movement or like mm. you say a scene. You know, a and it scene. felt it felt cool and it. There was like it's almost like it is, like I said earlier. It's like we were really dead set against like falling into SA rock vibes. So like even when well, like when Opie Copy booked us for the first time, I was like, oh guys, really are we gonna do this? <laughs> are we gonna go trick into the dust? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just like again, I was really like uh, I really had some some uh, opinions back then, but <laughs> but I was like, oh geez, really guys, Opie, like this is the band we're gonna be. Of course, I mean Opie Copy is now like uh, uh, very near dear to us, but um but uh, you know, I, I think we were all kind of just like really wanted to. In a lot of ways, we were, we were we were like seeing what was happening um, uh, around the world. It's like rock was rock was changing around the world, like, uh, um, and we were really inspired by bands like The Strokes, and The Strokes really like led that movement away from like limp biscuit and papa roach mm. to like kind of <laughs> you know uh rock music that you know uh, is better <laughs> than that yeah than limp biscuit so like and we were kind of really uh, you know inspired in a lot of ways by like oh there's like kind of a new rock music sound that's coming out it's like kind of fun and like dancier and and that felt like a movement and in a way like it felt cool to have our own little movement happening uh, back here. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think about that time very fondly. And um, I, I love like having conversations with people that were around back then because everyone just has these like mental moments. Like, I mean, we were just like, there were a couple other guys, but they were, we were just like local bands touring mm -hmm. the country. But it's just awesome to hear like, what how like what a big deal it was for like Desmond to roll into town <laughs> and um, the like, kids today it was will like never hysteria you know? it's just like <laughs> how long do you think Beatlemania will last as long as you all keep coming <laughs> and that's just like the kind of thing that happens um yeah just like those like that's the the, the birth of a scene in a way and yeah it's just I I count myself very blessed to have been a part of that. I mean, not only were you spearheading scenes here in South Africa, but then halfway across the world in Japan, you know, your music is being released and you're going to play these really cool venues. And Shane, like still to this day, that absolutely blows my mind. And I mean, just in terms of, I mean, Japan is always, it's, it's some, somewhere that I've always wanted to go. I haven't had the opportunity to yet, but hopefully after after this COVID madness is over, I can. But um, tell, tell me about your first tour. Like what, where were you playing? Like what kind of outfits were you wearing? Like was the language barrier an issue? I, I want to know everything about where you went in Japan. Yeah, so I mean, we... The connection to Japan happened um, actually just happened on MySpace, you know. So like MySpace, yeah. So I mean, in the early day, like we kind of of course it's MySpace because I mean it, it was back in the day when social media was like in its infancy. So <laughs> yeah, I mean like MySpace, this like this was before Facebook was even like remotely a thing, and. Um, someone and uh, do you know Daryl Tor? Yes, very well. So Dar at a gig once, like at that point, Daryl was um, playing with 
dear Harris reader. Tweed. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. What what did they become again? Uh, uh, Harris Tweed became Dear Reader. A, a dear Reader, yeah. And for people listening who don't know who Daryl Tor is, he is a Grammy Award winning uh, engineer and uh, yeah, an OG on the music scene. Yeah, so I mean, we we played with uh, Harris Tweed at the Bohemian and. Um, he came to me afterwards and was like, dude, have you guys got a MySpace? I was like, what's that? He's like, bro, you got to get a MySpace. <laughs> so like that, I was like, cool. Daryl says, get a MySpace. We gotta get a I'm MySpace. about to find out what a MySpace is and I'm about to get one. And so um, I did that. And yeah, that was also just like a, like that, that like bit of, internet music discovery like mp3 blog world that was kind of just starting to like happen back then it was really i mean the internet now for music is a really difficult thing to navigate Mm -hmm. but back then it was like really controlled by fans and so um it was like really new to be able to like for a fan to be able to like send you a message and for you to be able to respond or and so that was very, really, really fresh. So like, like engaging with people on MySpace became like a big part of, I guess. I mean, you talk about you talk about that little scene that we we were involved in, and a lot of that was like it, MySpace was really important to that, you know, especially like in terms of um, like kids in Cape Town finding out about us. Um, that all happened online before anywhere else right um so anyway like yeah yeah myspace we got quite a lot of good stuff out of myspace you know a lot a lot of connections that we made that have lasted the longest all all come from like myspace dms and (laughs) and so that um japanese connection to flake records happened happened on myspace and um, in fact, two back then, like two Japanese labels, like reached out to us, um, one in Tokyo and one in Osaka, and we ended up, like we ended up first releasing something with the Tokyo label, and then when it came down, like a just a seven-inch vinyl uh, with two songs on, and then when it came time to release the album, they're like, uh, we can't really afford to release a whole album, blah blah blah. So I like went back to the other guy. And I was like, uh, something fell through with the people that we chose over you. So <laughs> like, hey, we're back on the scene. And um, yeah, so, and the rest is kind of history. I mean, he released our, he released our album. Um, and, and like Japanese people just love doing like weird stuff. Like they released a vinyl with a bunch of remixes on and then they released like a special edition album with a bunch of like demos and other random stuff on. And yeah, I mean like going to Japan is just like a total culture shock. Like the Mm -hmm. language barrier is super real. Nobody speaks English really. Um, So we had a translator who also didn't totally speak English, but he spoke more (laughs) English than everybody else. And yeah, so we like, I mean like one thing that really just blew my mind is we were, and made me really question like what, actually is going on here because we arrive in so bear in mind like we didn't have itunes or or um what do you call it spotify or any of that stuff back then so you have no idea like just how many people are listening to music because it's people are still buying cds and like swapping and trading mp3s so like it's really hard to gauge just how popular you are in, in another country but your music had been released there because you done the deals before you came to tour exactly okay, yeah cool. so i mean so the, so when we get there to play the, the the do the first tour and we were just like walking around a department store one time and um these two like young Japanese girls come up to us like bear in mind we're in the middle of um, Tokyo it's a massive massive city that's actually an understatement it's just mind-blowing how big this and overwhelming this city is we're in a department store like um, I don't know like an Edgar's type thing and um, we're looking at jackets and these two girls come up to us 
they are freaking out like proper Japanese fangirl style, like the way you see in the movies. They take out their phones and they show us the Tuck Shop album cover on their on their phone. And we were just at this point, we were just like, what what actually uh, um, have we just walked into <laughs> right now? And so that was just like that stands out as just a, a moment where I went like, wow, what's um, what's going on down here? So, yeah, we played incredible shows. We got, yeah, it was just like an incredible experience just watching like how they, the Japanese people like engage with artists and music and like how the the whole live music culture there is totally different. Um, the language barrier thing was weird because like it, during the show, people will sing along. So like people can sing along, like I guess they just memorize the songs. That's amazing. And then after the show, like everyone wants to come and talk to you or like meet you and get your signature and stuff. But like nobody <laughs> speaks English, but you're like, hang on, you guys were just shouting like Peter a few minutes ago. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's just one of those beautiful like things that happened and we've stayed in touch with Flake Records all these years and it's led to like really great stuff. I mean, we managed to get... Um, to pass on uh, back in the day when I tried to start a record label, I signed Short Straw mm-hmm. for their first album, and like um, we managed to get that released in Japan as well. And and they've they've gone to Japan a bunch of times um, since then too. So it's become almost like this really cool little like informal like MySpace uh, infused cultural exchange program you know a bunch of the guys came out to south africa a few years ago and uh that's just like these two these two tiny little indie scenes one here and one in japan like kind of have found each other and um it's been really special yeah i remember that one oh, I'm, oh, I'm gonna forget the name of the band but it was an instrumental band and they came down and they played at Opikopi. It's one of the most yeah. incredible things I've ever seen. Damn it, what was the name of the band? Yeah, um, Sawagi. Yes, yes, that's it. Oh, they were <laughs> yeah, incredible. No, they're, they're so great. But that's so nice that you've managed to pass the the torch, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like a, it felt like a no brainer to try and get other people to uh, experience what we experienced because it was just like so totally different to the live scene here. Like, like here, like live watching bands and that whole thing is is really tidying and tied into like partying and drinking and and Mm -hmm. that whole thing which is fine i mean that makes makes super fun but it's so different there you know the venues are a lot smaller the bar in the venue is like almost non-existent the shows start a lot earlier so it's like way more like centered around like just fans watching music um so it's yeah it's just like culturally Culturally, it's just like a total different rhythm to here. You know, there was a period of years, um, probably like over 2008 to like 2012, where like you you were the it band and like a lineup wasn't complete unless you guys were on it. And I think that it's a testament to like this very cool, very entertaining show that you've crafted over the years. Because um, you, <laughs> you've got your own very unique special brand of of way that you perform and was it something that you you crafted over many shows or is it something that it's just like when you're on stage you become a completely different animal yeah i mean i think it's i think we got as we started to like kind of understand what what kind of gigs we were gonna do and what kind of people we're gonna we performing for? Like you kind of slowly start to figure out like what, like what you need to what you need to do. Um, yeah, like when you start out, you've got like an idea of what you what you need to look like and what what you want to do. And like even early on, I was like, okay, my vibe is gonna be like like classic indie frontman vibe with like. Um, skinny jeans and I'm gonna like jump around and go crazy and like we're just gonna vibe it out like that
And as time went on, like my dance moves have become like a bit, bit more understated. Um, and but, but like I still try to. Yeah, I guess, I guess, like I don't know. I don't. It's hard. It's hard to say. But it's like live, playing live. Like what's weird for me, right? Is I don't. I don't consider myself a musician, really. Like, I don't, like I said, I don't play any instruments. And um, a lot of people would agree with me when I when I say like I don't really even sing. <laughs> so, so like I, I've I've like kind of stumbled into this thing of being in a band and playing live, and um, like I've had this amazing opportunity to be a part of creating music with very talented uh, musicians. And like what I bring to the table is like. I guess is is like is kind of what I do live, right? Is is like that is the thing that um, I've I've managed to become, I think, quite good at. And um, and, and yeah, so like when people say like, do I play any instruments? Then I always my my go-to line now is like, my personality is my instrument. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But also, and, uh, but also, don't sell yourself short because I feel like the reason that Desmond the Tutus is so successful is because each each of you brings something so unique to the table, and it's all of those elements together that make you guys incredibly entertaining to watch, but even more so to listen to. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, that that means a lot. I mean, it's just it's what's just so weird about this journey we've been on right it's like like i said in the beginning i was like if we ever make it to like if we're still in this band in five years time like somebody kill me and it's just like we just started it it went from like goofing off over the weekends to being something that we really really love and we've gotten we've gotten better at it and also, I mean, like just when you start performing in front of big crowds, that feeling really, you know, um, is intoxicating. So um, that becomes like a whole other driving force in your life. Um, but yeah, like like obviously our brand, our music, but also our like style of live performance is not it's not suitable for every type of event. So some often you know people would hear like Lazy Bones on the radio, and then mm-hmm. we'll be, get gigged. We'll, we we get booked to like play at some corporate or something like that off the back of Lazy Bones and teenagers, and they and people think they're getting some kind of like kind of light-hearted pop. Rock and then band you guys and show then, up, <laughs> and we show up, and it's like totally not that experience and like and that's hard for us to to like because i know what people i know what the person that booked us is thinking it's they're like wow i'm really not getting what i thought i was getting and so and that makes that like in the beginning used to make me really like insecure you know so you like and then we doug and i like developed this this concept of like we need if you walk into a bad gig and you can see like it's not going to be great, like we need to win. <laughs> like the audience cannot win. <laughs> we need to win. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? And so with that, armed with that, that kind of um, theory, it really unlocks like this, this thing inside me, which is like, I'm not these people here that work at FNB or whatever. Like they are not going to win today. <laughs> I'm going to win, and so <laughs> that that has really like unlocked some very some wild moments at like at corporate <laughs> at corporate events. Um, um, but that's also just like in general. And Doug this, Doug was like described this like aspect of of when we live what i do is i hold um i hold the audience in contempt like i don't it's like i'm like i'm not trying to i'm not trying to like like play to what they expect from us in a way you know it's like and and so there's like this i like there to be tension in the air and um i like for people like 
you know, they mustn't mustn't be like easy, because you know? <laughs> it's not easy for me. So it mustn't be easy for the audience always, you know. And um, and that uh, that kind of tension and that feeling of like oh, we're in we're in like war with the audience and like we need to win. And the way we win is by like convincing them that this has been fun. <laughs> and often that means is like I just really got to push the limit of what of what fun is um so, yeah like some corporates have just gotten like totally um like we played this corporate at we don't do a lot of corporates and this this story will uh ex- i guess explain why but it's um <laughs> <laughs> this is like a business it was for some bank and it was some like business conference thing at the santon convention center and it was like us on the lineup and Mikasa, of course, Mikasa, like these guys are the darlings of that kind of world. Um, they were bred for corporate. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are just like, and they and the people love it. And here comes us. And we've got a couple crowd pleasers, but a lot of it's just like, you know, kind of hectic, punky rock music. And so, yeah, I did a lot of stuff that day that really like cemented this us versus them. Like I, I went... Uh, uh, I went down to the, I went like moved, I, I moved into the audience and went down to like the catering table and t- stole two massive platters of uh, food <laughs> and like ran away and then emerged later and like went to the opposite side of the stage and uh, sat on a chair and gave like a five minute TED talk about working in a corporate. And- then we played some songs in between and uh, <laughs> I don't know yeah it's uh, I've had a lot of moments like that where like and I'll just like things will just spiral a little bit and um, we kind of regroup at the end and as long as Doug looks at me and goes like you won <laughs> then, I'm, then I'm happy well, on the subject of winning, I don't know if you know this, but your bio on Facebook still reads three-time award-losing band, which is hysterical, but I reckon you have to change that, Shane, because you guys are summer winners for Best Rock Album now. And, you know, I know people say, oh my God, like, it's so nice to be nominated, but wow, it's even better to win. <laughs> I'm sure you would agree. <laughs> um, and I think apart from your and Doug's acceptance speech, which is like burned into my mind <laughs> literally for eternity. And also I think you guys trended on Twitter for like three days afterwards. Um, yeah, that, after the, after that was that. the best thing to come out of it. It's um, pretty much. Yeah. But like, but like how does it really feel to, to be recognized by your peers on like on an, a national scale like that for your work after you've been, you know, grinding away for a while? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was it was kind of a big moment for us, right? Like it's we'd been nominated for our, our previous album, and uh, that we lost three times that night. Hence the hence the Twitter bio. Um, <laughs> so it's I mean it's still true. We are still we have still lost a minimum of three awards that we've been uh, nominated for. Oh, I see you're going on the ratio. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so, but um, yeah. You know, one does, like you say, one does say, like, like when you, with, with the first time around when we lost, it's like, um, then you like, the, the narrative is, ah, who cares about awards, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but when you win, like, you really, it really still does, like, does something really special for your soul. Mm-hmm. And, and you do start to appreciate, like, what it actually means. And, um, and meant a lot to us, you know, because we, we really did feel that Enjoy Yourself was like our best. It was like a kind of our like peak Desmond, you know. In a lot of ways, it was like it was it was 100% us. And it was like we had, we kind of felt like we perfected what Desmond and the Tudus is in, in an album. It's like the moments of like kind of tender, like uh, love songs and their moments of just like, weird rock punky like moments and then there's like everything in between and and kind of like the approach when we made that album our thing was going to be like let's just do whatever we want to do 
and um and I've, and, we, and and like we went with that as the as the theme was like any no idea is a bad idea type <laughs> of thing and um DIY. <laughs> so and, and and so like yeah I mean when we won it was it did feel like cool I mean we we it was great to be recognized because I mean I know a lot of the a lot the, a lot of the judges are like proper music people and that and the proper music people world like it, it, they didn't warm up to us immediately when we came out you know so so I appreciate that that the, that was also kind of important for us is that it, it told me that hey these all these rock guys and these music guys that like didn't get it when you came out and didn't get like even didn't didn't get like indie rock as a genre for like the first 10 years of indie rock kind of uh, they've 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 they finally got it and that also was kind of important to me um and so so yeah i mean as much as we like to say like uh the cop out is when you lose uh, it's it's just an award who cares but but i guess it is that is true because who does care but like we cared for a, we cared for a while and yeah it was it was good tell me how did you celebrate that night yeah man how did we celebrate it was it was just doug and i because the other two guys couldn't couldn't make it and um well you've been to the summers you know like kind of how how weird it is it's like uh there's the summer after party that nobody really goes to <laughs> <laughs> and it was I think it was just Doug and I like wandering around Durban, like missioning around and uh just hoping people like remember that we won a summer that night. <laughs> uh but but let's let's talk about your latest album, Desmond. Um, which is also your first album in a long while, because Enjoy Yourself came out I wanna say like four or five years ago. Um yeah. But Desmond's been ready. It's been ready to go since like July. So so what was the holdup? Like is it was it a suspense building tactic or <laughs> was it just corona? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it was mostly just corona. Um like the album actually like we had we'd basically finished it about this time last year and we were thinking to ourselves like in the new year well, let's just like we'll just spend we'll spend um January like mastering it and then like it'll be ready to go by March, let's say. And yeah, like we there were some delays, like we decided to write a few more songs. Um and so that delayed us a little bit. And then yeah, like COVID kind of really just like when gigs started went kind of stopped dead just put us all in like a really weird place and didn't we weren't really like it wouldn't feel right uh, to just like put out an album if we couldn't play shows around it i mean we're not playing mm. much now but um you know like we really exist because we are able to do shows and like there's no way we the three of us would be still making music together if we weren't getting like you know, 50 opportunities to play songs live a year. And so we need to, so that, that, that whole like kind of thing really threw us because like without shows, like Desmond isn't really like something we want to do if all we're going to do is record music. Um, like we, our whole career kind of just revolves around us playing, playing gigs and so it was kind of it just kind of threw us to go like okay well there's no gigs what does that mean for us as a band like does it do we still even exist um and and so that was kind of just a weird thing for us for us to go through and but at the at the end of it we felt like well we just we got to we we should just put it out which we've now started doing and um but yeah, it's like the, I mean the 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 five year delay between albums is is also notable. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it takes us this long to to make albums. Like this is probably the longest gap. I think the thing is, it's like once when we got an album, like when Enjoy Yourself came out, like it, like the the strength of those songs enabled us to just play and play and play and get booked and booked and booked and like 
And so we were just kind of riding that, you know. It was like we didn't feel like – I mean, also, like, we in our world, like, whether we, we release an album every year or every five years, it's like it's not like we've got, like, 100,000 people waiting to buy the vinyl of our album. So, uh, you know, we really, like, fall into a place where, like, as, if, as long as we're, like, servicing our few thousand fans and – is enough for them to like get into then then we are we are kind of more or less happy so you know lockdown was and still is very hard for a lot of south africans and people around the world but how are you returning to a sort of degree of normalcy at all after this period of this weird period of like loss of connection and 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 freedom with lockdown Sure. Yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like life is, especially for, for, for rock bands, you know, like, um, it feels like things have changed irreversibly in a lot of ways for us, you know, like we, uh, um, yeah, there's just like less shows, a lot of venues over December are just not opening. Mm. So like we can't even do that classic thing of like touring around the And coast. you guys love your summer tour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. It's still something we're kind of grappling with, to be honest. It's like, I mean, if Desmond can't play live, like, every, I don't know, couple times a month, do we even really exist? <laughs> and I, I, I don't know that we do, you know. Like, we revolve around, like, that of playing live. And, of course, like, income aside, it's, uh, that is how we generate an income from the band but aside from that it's that is what actually what we love doing and and we record and make music just to service that aspect of what we do so if we can't do that I, i'm not sure that we do really exist anymore but uh i mean we've just gone to all this effort of making an album so let's hope we can still play a few more shows i mean you guys played your first show at halloween in pretoria how did that go yeah, it was it was great. Like in a lot of ways, it felt like back to normal. Um, and we love a Halloween. We love a Halloween party. Oh yeah, who did you guys dress <laughs> up as this year? By the way, uh, we actually just didn't dress up. No, <laughs> I know, what? I know. It's uh, it's um, we just I don't know why we just like you went as yourselves we, because well, twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just went as like three dudes going through their own existential crises. <laughs> and that, like nobody asked us, but that is way more terrifying than anything we could have dressed up as. My favorite look of yours was the Politons, when the four of you dressed up as the <laughs> yeah. Politons. That, that I, will ne I will never not share that every Halloween. <laughs> Text in the City always shares that oh, because man. I just thought <laughs> it was so well thought out. You guys even had a KFC snack box. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah it was so funny like we like we always go we always oh, we used to i mean this year aside like we craig and i put in so much effort to these into these outfits you know so that night we uh i mean like we went and bought like matching black button-up shirts and i had this really tiny like tight black shirt and then we did the eye makeup and the cave the kfc bucket i was like i remember going into a kfc going i need a bucket but i only I, I only want to buy one piece of chicken but please can i have a bucket and she was like and this poor woman just was like no you if you buy one piece you, you get, get it in like a little paper a bag and i was like please i will pay money for the bucket but i don't need a whole bucket of chicken she's like she just was like no, you buy a bucket of chicken, you get a bucket. Eventually, they managed to dig out like a bucket from, from I don't know, somewhere, but it was like a used bucket. And so we roll onto stage and I had like one piece of chicken, like this cold um, chicken leg. And the intro, uh, the intro of the first song is like the guys are like starting this intro and it's vibey and... I'm like, cool, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk onto stage with a bucket, with this KFC bucket, and I'm going to eat this um, 
this chicken leg before we start singing. And and I don't know, it just felt like it took me longer than ever in my life to eat a, a <laughs> to eat a chicken leg. leg of I chicken. don't know, in front of like four hundred kids. He has me like choking down a KFC chicken leg. And uh, I just remember looking back at them guys and I'm like like hacking this thing down. <laughs> and Doug's like, oh, are we going to start this show? And I'm like, ah, I've got a throat full of chicken, but let me just deal with one thing at a time. But what was, what was really great that night is the pilot tones tweeting at us going, wow, I heard Desmond and the Tudors are looking stylish tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so good sports. Oh my God, I love that so much. <laughs> but after 15 years in the game and then the long hiatus, as we as we spoke about, like in between albums, what is it that you've brought to this album, to Desmond, that you haven't before? And like, what are fans who've been taking this journey with you, fans like me, since like day one, since Tuck Shop, like what are they in for? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess most notably is it, it's it's the first album that we've, uh, well, the first music that we've made without um, Nick Dinney on the bass guitar. So that's uh, that's kind of one like one immediate difference. Um, even though a lot of enjoy yourself, like uh, Craig, you know, Craig, um, you won't know this by looking at the guy, but you know, he he like he runs a lot of what we do and of course he manages the band but like musically you know around the enjoy yourself like he really developed like a kind of like a like he developed a lot of the sound for like what became enjoy yourself and um and include that includes like pretoria girls and teenagers like two songs that have like have become maybe two of our biggest songs like these come from craig our drummer like writing uh like coming up with ideas for songs and and us going like yeah those are those are craig these are really great <laughs> and um so like it kind of i guess started back then but but um yeah like not having nick is kind of a is kind of a game changer because it's like it's it's like changed how how we workshop songs in the past i suppose we would like classic band vibe like jam it out till it's right whereas like a lot of this stuff is like more uh like you don't really jam it out it's like kind of more created it's more created in the recording in the recording process um and you kind of figure it out that way rather than like the old school way you know where like a band would write a song and practice it practice practice it and then get get into studio with this perfect song like a lot of this stuff is kind of like really you you kind of start to realize the songs in studio um yeah like subject matter wise it's kind of it's kind of like a lot of like the same kind of desmondy themes like there's a mix of uh like the the tongue-in-cheek uh comments on society that I, that I've always loved uh, doing and then there are also like light-hearted love song moments and uh, sprinkle in like a, a dose of uh, good old punk rock existentialism and uh, and that's that's kind of a Desmond album for you I really like uh, the first single hard work um, because it's it's that that quintessential Desmond sound, but then you tackle like the ups and downs of social media, which I find funny because like I feel like you guys are incredible at social media, um, and and I but but I, I suppose <clears throat> the sort of comment at large is, you know, that it's hard work to keep to keep up your profiles fine, but like also appearances. Like, do you do you feel that way like after being at this for so long yeah i mean uh, like the social media thing what's so what's so weird about it is like um when we when we started out like i said we got into myspace like thanks to daryl tor i don't know a week after myspace had been launched or something so like back then like early on around like our first album 
people really like kind of looked at Desmond as like, here's a band that's using the internet to reach and connect with their fans, mm-hmm. right? And that back then was still kind of a new concept. And over the last few years, like we've started feeling a bit like they're like kind of a new generation of artists and like internet people in general are like using the internet way, way, way better. But it's it's really like it's all consuming, you know, like it's it's it starts to define your your career. Like your Instagram account is your is your career. And like that's something we've just we've not kept up with, you know. So we haven't been able to transition from uh, rock band to you know influencer marketing experts. I don't know. And you you say that, but then the Desmart that you launched <laughs> online in conjunction with the the album release is one of it's probably your best work to date and i own a desmond and the mother flipping tutus t-shirt and i thought that that was like the pinnacle <laughs> but but on on desmart like you guys offered personalized shout out videos and then you I, I actually i was i can't believe that you sold out of your limited edition used car seats like that was crazy <laughs> And then another one of the offerings um, is that you, well, no, one of the band members reads you a bedtime story via Zoom, which was amazing. (laughs) But I thought, but my favorite one was the mini pants offering where like for an entire day, the band members will like WhatsApp you insults and like voice notes and unexpected (laughs) times. Um, I'm, I'm taking my life into my own hands here, but, but I need an example of one of those insults on the record. I need to know what you were sending to people. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, no, not surprisingly, like nobody actually nobody ordered, a, or, ordered a mini pants package. Uh, <laughs> uh, like the, like the popular ones were like kind of the more normal ones, like uh, car seat, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, I, I sold a few locks of my hair, which, uh, I guess. Was that an offering? Yeah, yeah, you could buy a lot. Any one of our, you could buy any, a lock of anybody's hair. It's so funny. It's like in the. In Doug the, doesn't have any hair, though. I know. <laughs> and, and so we were planning on just selling all Doug's hair <laughs> when he cut it off. But uh, it's funny, like when the order comes in, because like we manage the online store ourselves. It's like we don't have to outsource that because we're not like dealing with, you know, uh, odd future merch drops like where they sell a million t-shirts and the day it goes live it's like it's kind of fun for us to just like package this shit and send it out so like the order comes in and it's like okay for the lock of hair i choose shane (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it's like i i i'm like i don't know how i feel about that but i guess it's funny i don't know how did you deliver the lock of hair to them? Did you put it in a okay. test tube or did you wrap it uh, up? Yeah, in like I did. A I, put it oh, did in, I put it in a glass <laughs> test tube. Like, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, I put, I put it in a glass test tube and then I, I made like a, I took an A4 piece of paper and made like a, a, a certificate of authenticity oh <laughs> and, we, and we like drew a little diagram of my face with an arrow to like where the, where the cut of hair, you know, like if you're in a butchery, it, tell, it tells you like where the, the, the cut like, of meters, yeah. fillet comes from. Yeah, I did <laughs> one of those, but for hair. <laughs> so it's like, okay, your lock of tutu hair came from like the, you know, the front bang of Shane's <laughs> lips, whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Shane, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me today on Text Talks. I have never wanted large-scale shows to return more because I am craving a tutu's jewel so badly. So hopefully, yeah, I can catch you guys at one soon. Same. If only you could.
can filter your personality What a shame Are you gonna look up at any point today? for joining us in studio. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also, a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store, for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Engs and Matthew Lewitz, and our research assistant, Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side.